We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to postseason baseball. The Chicago White Sox begin their march to the World Series. Here to recap the big moments and analyzing the critical decisions is your favorite source of Chicago White Sox talk. This is the Sox Machine postseason show with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to Sox Machine Live. But unfortunately, Rob, the White Sox march to the 2021 World Series ends as we are streaming live on youtube.com slash socks machine and also on twitter as well for those that are watching on twitter welcome to this episode of socks machine live it is going to be a sad episode because the chicago white Sox lose game four of the american league division series in a laugher 10 to 1 as the houston astros now move on winning three out of the four games and they will be playing the boston red Sox in the American League Championship Series with the winner moving on to the World Series. Joining me is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and the co-host of the podcast. It's Jim Margulis. And Jim, uh, I don't know how, you know, we've had this conversation often over Mm -hmm. eight seasons podcasting together. How do you want your team to lose? And that was a butt whooping by the Houston Astros today in the final game for the Chicago White Sox. Really not close after the fourth inning. And I guess Mm -hmm. that's an easier pill to swallow than watching the White Sox lose four to three. I think so in in this case, just because you had the subplot coming in with home field advantage and whether the White Sox should have done more uh, to try to secure it, whether they, uh, you know, whether you can go back through the game log and see like which games, uh, which two games the White Sox would most regret losing because of it. And I don't think home field advantage would have made a difference. That's kind of where I'm at. Uh, maybe, you know, it, maybe it's different when it's one, one versus two, uh, one, like say if the games broke the same way where you feel like you're okay going into Houston, but it just struck me as two teams on different levels. The, the Astros are, yeah, they're a complete team. They've been there. They've know what works. The White Sox got there once and they got there during a full season. But now I think, you know, there are some roster knots to resolve. There are, uh, it's a decent 26 man roster in terms of, you know, you count to 26, you have a pretty good roster, but I think you have some like players, you have some free agency decisions coming up. You have some long standing vacancies like right field, for instance, that need to be resolving. And so, 
it's going to take uh, some finessing. This is going to be a fascinating offseason, and I think the way that they lost does make decisive action easier to go through. I think if they lost like five-game series all by one run, you can think they're just right there. But when you lose this mm-hmm. decisively, a thorough and dressing, Rick Hahn, I think, has uh, leeway to make bolder moves if he thinks that it addresses something he saw on the field. Well, before we have any of those talking points, I hope everyone that's watching the live stream grabs a beer. Uh, we can toast as our friends from We're the one do often. So, yeah, maybe you're going straight to the bottle uh, after what transpired. <laughs> uh, but cheers, Jim, to the cheers. 2021 season uh, as it there? is over for the Chicago White Sox. I am going with a beer called Scotty G's Pie and Ice Cream. It's supposed to taste like apple pie a la mode. Uh, hmm. It's okay. Very heavy on the cinnamon and the lactose. Uh, what is your drink of choice? I'm going with a Golden Drock, uh, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, Belgian beer, 10.7%. <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yep. It's uh, it's a. Yeah, I'm a fan of the Belgians, and uh, it's one of those beers where if I see it on tap, I get it because it's it's very. You have to be going to basically a Belgian bar or you know a pub that kind of specializes in beers in order to find it. So, I figure get a special one, and given the way they play it, a strong one. So. Yeah. So in game four, uh, for those that are still interested in talking about the game. Carlos Rodon discovered his 99-mile-per-hour fastball, even though it was for an inning. And that was really eye-opening. And that gave me hope that I I think Rodon can last four innings, especially Mm -hmm. if he's got that type of fastball velocity. Uh, Unfortunately, that was not the case. As Houston caught up uh, with Rodon, and what the White Sox were trying to do as far as their plan of attack against the Astros hitters. I don't think Yasmani Grandal had a good game plan at all for Carlos Correa in his first two plate appearances. Three straight sliders. That's like you're getting him timed up to make a hit on 0-2. And I know that people will say... No, his first plate appearance where he singled was three straight sliders. Okay, gotcha. Second plate appearance is three straight fastballs. And it's like, come on, Yasmani. Carlos Correa doesn't have to do a lot of thinking mm-hmm. at all. So I didn't I didn't think he – I don't think Grandal had a good game plan for Carlos Correa, and that burned the White Sox. But I think you make a good point as well, Jim. Rodon lost his breaking pitches. Kopech mm-hmm. lost his breaking pitches. Uh, then Crochet came in and he throws some breaking pitches and he gets Michael Brantley out. Uh, game three, the breaking pitches were in the strike zone and it baffled Houston as far as offensively. It allowed the White Sox to win that game, especially the second half of that game, to shut out Houston. Mm-hmm. The breaking pitches were not in the strike zone for the White Sox. They had to go back to the fastball and they got burned. Yeah, or they were rolling. They were spinning. Um, it was it was tough just because I was watching Rodon in the early innings, especially the first inning, and just the fastball, you're looking at that first. And that checked out. You know, maybe 
you check it in the second inning, just to make sure he doesn't drop off. It's just not adrenaline that burns out and his arm is, you know, maybe doesn't feel so great after sitting. And then, but you know, his velocity was fine. Uh, second inning and even the third, especially given that we'd seen him succeed with less, but then I started watching the breaking pitches and they were not there. Like they just, it was, they were kind of floating on him there. There wasn't the sharp break. He did not have access to the back foot slider. Uh, he didn't get any swinging strikes over the last two innings. And that's, I think, why Grandal didn't want to go slider, just because, you know, Correa said after the game that he would have fallen over the plate if Rodon threw a slider. But I think he was looking fastball because I don't think they respected the slider. Like, I think they just didn't expect him to throw it. Like, he had the opportunity to get uh, Alvarez, cannot locate it, couldn't throw it anywhere close. The sliders that were in the zone were over the plate, and the ones he, he could not find that put away pitch. So that's why I think, you know, when it came to both Rodon and then Kopech, uh, who also had problems with this slider, got a couple swinging strikes, but also, you know, the mystery evaporated on him pretty quickly. Uh, I think it became a decision for Grandal going to the pitcher's strength. And the fastball was Rodon's strength. The slider wasn't there. It seemed like he was checking his fingertip a bit too, so that might have been playing into it, just not getting a good grip, whether it's a blister problem, given the... Uh, uh, inactivity that he's had over the last you know months. Perhaps that's a thing where his uh, fingers weren't uh, what it was, but that's, I think, it wasn't Grandal's greatest moment. Uh, I think for Grandal, the bigger one is the Cro Garrett Crochet 3-0 pitch to Bregman yeah, with the I... base open left coming up. That was Lance Lynn against uh, Vlad Jr. all over again, except Grandal is a veteran and Sebi Zavalas the rookie. Like, that's a case where... Um, you know, if, if Tony Larusa blames Zavala for the pitch call the last time, I would think that that's Grandal's responsibility to have the buck stop with him on on whether to you know retreat against uh, uh, Bregman and go against the lefty, which Crochet was way more equipped to face. But I guess the good news is they lost so thoroughly that uh, you know all all of the White Sox flaws. I wrote about this recap, like all the flaws: their ground ball flaws, their uh, bullpens batting average of balls and play flaws, Aaron Bummer, you know, Craig Kimbrels, they all kind of just coalesce together to create one beautiful season summary of the ways that everybody was worried about them. And it, you know, you, you touched on what happens next and we'll have that conversation a little bit further, but in this four game series, the white Sox allowed 31 runs. You can't mm -hmm. have it. And, you know, we had, people like Steven Nelson and Mike Farron come on the show and we even talked about it as well that the White Sox supposedly had the advantage on the starting pitching front and supposedly had the advantage in the bullpen you wouldn't be able to tell if you watch this series because mm -hmm. Houston you know 31 runs in four games that's that's an incredible amount and they scored at least six runs in each of the four games that's very mm -hmm. hard to win a series when you are just allowing that many runs. So while the White Sox pitching staff was good enough and maybe their strong suit to win them a division title in 2021, if they are thinking World Series in 2022, this pitching staff's not good enough. And you can go right back to this series against the Houston Astros. They are not good enough. And I don't necessarily know on how they're going to get better without outside help, of course. Um, mm -hmm. Or they don't face the Houston Astros in 2020.
22. Uh, but that, it, looking back at this series and just recapping this series, that was prop, probably my biggest disappointment is just how poorly the White Sox pitched in these four games. Yeah, I, I think what Giolito had longest started four innings, uh, four plus. Uh, so that's a case where it's a starting pitching base team. And when the starter goes four innings, that renders a lot of the rest of the conversation moot. Like say with like uh, the uh, game two with Giolito starting the fifth when he shouldn't have. Like, yeah, it was Tony Larusa's fault. Um, Rodon facing... Um, blanking on who is the hitter. Oh, oh Correa. Like that, that's a case where in that at bat, like I didn't like him facing Correa because I didn't think he had a slider. I thought he just had a fastball and Correa was geared up for it. Um, that's a case to go to Kopech, righty, righty, but you know, stayed in one batter too long. But you just saw all the ways, like I think if your starter, uh, if your long start of the season is four plus innings, um, you really have to manage a perfect series almost. You need you, and no manager does. No manager, you know, you manages a perfect series. Like it's just, it's really hard because there are humans involved. <laughs> they're just, they're, they're always reads, you know, whether it's like uh, they play by the numbers or the numbers sometimes don't work for them. Like the probabilities, like with uh, Kevin Cash and Blake Snell, like that conversation, like sometimes you do it by the book and it turns out to blow up and people are unhappy that you did it that way. So, you know, managing between what the odds say and what the people say and how people are going to react is like, it, it's hard. Um, and you have to, acknowledge some mistakes because Dusty Baker didn't have a perfect series either. But when you have, um, you know, Giolito going four plus, uh, Lance Lynn, three and two thirds, Dylan Cease, uh, not making it out of the second, Carlos Redon <laughs> throwing two scoreless innings to start. And that rec- like that, uh, represent the high watermark for White Sox pitchers. <laughs> Just, uh, that's, you, you'd have to have, you'd have to like nail probably 90% of your moves the rest of the way in order to have a chance of winning and the Astros did not allow it. They, they forbade it. And uh, at least, yeah, like I said, it's thorough enough to where you can't really feel bad or maybe you can just feel generally angry, but at least you're not going to be, uh, you know, kicking yourself or, or you're going to th- be thinking like Tony Lewis is going to be kicking himself for one wrong decision he made, or, uh, you know, like Eloy Jimenez for one bad at bat that he had, or you just there, it was a team failure. It was a team effort. <laughs> was, uh, and, uh, yeah, probably like, you know, you can even expand that organization effort a little bit, uh, in, in some areas that they were short, like Liam Hendricks. And we talked about it before the season, uh, when your biggest expenditure in the off season is a closer, um, that's not great because you can't guarantee that hell of any work to do when it matters. And sure enough, he did not have one situation where he actually made a difference. Um, and, and that's when you have like, say, uh, you know, him going nuts or, or him being idle while you have like Jock Peterson turning October into Jocktober. You have Kyle Schwarber having a big series. You have Michael Brantley having a big series. And, and you think about uh, all the ways where, uh, the White Sox were putting the hood ornament on a car that wasn't worth it. <laughs> it just that's a case where uh, um, they might want to consider just exactly what now that they're thoroughly uh, they they've been reacquainted with the off season or with the postseason rather. They now have the off season to realize like what's most important when you get there. Like having a bunch of relievers is good, but closer not necessarily. Uh, and uh, I, I think uh, just having the uh, parts of the team that 
create safe situations in the first place is really, you know, th that's really what gets you there and, and really what gives you the biggest chance of actually winning games when it gets to October, not having a closer who can preserve one run victories. If, if you're thinking your margin is going to be that small. Well, let's shift over to the offense because the White Sox offense scored one run. Thank you, Gavin Sheets. He gave the White Sox the lead. Believe it or not, the White Sox were actually winning one to nothing after the second inning. Uh, and then innings three through nine, they lose 10 to nothing. Um, but Gavin Sheets hit his first postseason home run of his career. Uh, so congratulations to him. Uh, and then <laughs> and nobody uh, else. And nobody else. Um <laughs> Yeah, Gavin Sheets also had a double uh, for today's game. He provided the extra base hits and the offense. It was frustrating to be at the stadium because when you're there in person, you can see on how the defense is positioned. And my Lord, Jose Altuve and Carlos Correa could not be playing any closer to second base as a second mm -hmm. baseman at shortstop. They're right there in the middle. And for XYZ reason, the White Sox hitters just keep thinking, I'm going to hit it right through the middle of the infield. That's what they want you to do. And it was just disappointing that they can't make in-game adjustments where they've got 25 yards of distance between El Tuve and first base or the right side of the infield. Like, if it's going to be a sinker on the outside corner, go with the pitch and hit a single into right field if you don't believe you're going to be able to elevate the ball. Mm -hmm. But just constantly, constantly hitting it up right into the defensive position just tells me the White Sox hitters are not paying attention to where the defenders are, and they're just swinging at the plate with, with very little game plan at all. And that part was very frustrating to continue to see throughout this game. And we saw it in the two games in Houston, this offense has a lot of potential. They really do. And if they stay healthy, they're, they're going to score a lot of runs in 2022, but they're never going to hit their ceiling or they're not going to hit on all cylinders unless they figure out how to reduce the amount of ground balls, Jim, it's just, mm -hmm. it's too many ground balls from this lineup. That's got so much power potential. Yeah. That was one of the flaws we talked about just, uh, you know, specific to this Astros matchup and how the Astros are pretty good at getting ground balls and they have a, you know, pretty good defense, especially around the infield. Um, and as we saw, like they are well positioned and the white Sox, uh, uh, we're not like they did not have that edge. Um, that's a thing I think that the White Sox are going to have to consider going into the off season, um, assuming Tony LaRusse is back for next year. And I've seen nothing saying otherwise, but you know, given his age and such, you never know, like, and given the uncomfortable hiring, you know, and, and the fact that, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what kind of, I'm curious whether any, disagreements in the front office will form based on the way they went out. Like that's the kind of performance they had is the kind of performance where people get salty. Like the way Rick Renteria went out last year, like when he wanted more pitching, the white Sox didn't do anything. They uh, ran to a wall. Uh, they had the bullpen game in game three and you know, the white Sox didn't like how the, the front office didn't like how it was managed. You know, Renteria got let go in, in surprising fashion. And given the way they got, you know, the, they got blown out here, three of the four games, like this could be the situation where 
you know, maybe there is a philosophical divide to where they say like here, yeah. Or if there is, they could say like, you know, let's look at the, uh, all the singles that got through. We've been trying to tell you this, this is what you didn't said. It's not working. You know, I could, uh, this is all speculative, but just when it comes to just how badly they played and what we saw last year, I am curious to see whether any kind of changes happen to try to, you know, whether it's get the ball in the air, whether it's, you know, just updating defensive spray charts, uh, whether it affects the, um, you know, just the talent acquisition and, and the emphasis on late innings over runs and lineup modularity and optimization, that sort of thing. Like it's, it'll be curious, but this is a resounding enough loss and a clear enough loss to where there are going to be some difficult decisions to make that could involve favorites of the team just because, you know, maybe the pieces don't match up. Maybe you have too many like players who hit too many ground balls or, uh, you know, just something, something like that to where they need some uh, way to diversify their tech. So one specific pitching staff can't neutralize them so easily. Well, I mean, the whole guys are hitting too many ground balls. Uh, okay. That starts with Jose Abreu and that starts with Eloy Jimenez. They hit too mm-hmm. many ground balls. Abreu hits into too many double plays. Uh, I don't think you're getting rid of those guys. Uh, they're going to be on the team in 2022. Now, that's the point that I'm getting at yeah. offensively. Well, and I wouldn't be surprised if Aloy Jimenez plays some Dominican Winter League ball because after missing so much of this season, I, I think he needs more swings and games uh, to break out of this funk and to stay in shape and be ready for spring training. Like, don't be surprised if Aloy Jimenez does that. Uh, many major leaguers do to, again, just stay in shape and stay in rhythm um, because he did not end the season well uh, with the Chicago White Sox coming off the injured list. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's so a case, I, too, where they could say, like, you know, yeah, and this is uh, – <laughs> I'm looking forward to the offseason plan project for this reason, but somebody can make a case for trading Eloy Jimenez just based on the fact that he's redundant with other positions and such. Like that could be a case where he's got some value and they might just see a way to make a tough decision, but maybe get a left-handed bat, maybe get a little bit more athleticism, just something to where, yeah, I, I think there's just, you know, there are a couple of positions where there are like players and they have to figure out how to unstick themselves, whether that's, you know, somebody like Jimenez making strides, improving and unlocking his talent for good, or whether the White Sox, try to make a, a ballsy trade to um, that, that maybe makes people unhappy, but also gets a high upside player from another organization. Like it's, I can see arguments. So I'm looking for the offseason plan project and looking to see just how bold people get, because like the case, like Nick magical, they traded him. Like I did not see that coming. Like uh, they felt that they have second baseman coming up and they felt like they can replace what he offers. So, you know, with Jimenez um, you know, he's, I mean, he's got an immense ceiling, but when it comes to just the, his, you know, mediocre left field play, his ground ball hit that he's right-handed, just like he does replicate a lot of the flaws the White Sox have in one player. So that's why I could see some people saying like, we could, this is how we get out of this. We take the, uh, here's the boldest step. So that's, that's why I'm looking forward to the, the project just because, you know, the Nick Magical trade, I think opened up a lot of possibilities in terms of just, uh, whether, you know, drafts, uh, you know, where they were picked in the draft or whether, you know, what trade they came over on, you know, um, you know, you can divorce some attachment from that. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We'll have more as far as recap episodes this upcoming offseason for the Chicago White Sox or the Sox Machine podcast. We'll break down each player uh, or the important players. Not every player is going to get their own uh, offseason outlook. 2021 uh, review episode this upcoming offseason. But for the Sox Machine podcast for future episodes this offseason, we will take individual players and break down what 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 went well in 2021, what didn't go well, and what their 2022 outlook is going to be. Uh, I do want to bring this comment up because uh, Carlos Rodon spoke to the media uh, after the game. And when asked about his pending free agency, this is from Vinny Duber of NBC Sports Chicago who tweeted this out. Carlos Rodon said, it's been an interesting road for me and to have the opportunity to pitch in an important game, it meant a lot. So thank you, White Sox fans, and thank you to the organization, end quote. Jim, Carlos Rodon is a Scott Forrest client. And boy, mm-hmm. that sounds very familiar to what Garrett Cole said uh, after his last game with the Houston Astros in uh, 2019, or no, in the 2018 season after the World Series. Mm-hmm. Uh, did Carlos Rodon just say goodbye to the Chicago White Sox and the fans? I don't know. Like when he said like White Sox fans, that could just be his, you know, the last time he has a public forum to have his, you know, words, you know, relayed to the public while everybody's paying attention to him. So it just might be a way for him to use the opportunity, you know, given that his contract is up, given that he is not a member of the White Sox. Uh, you know, that's, that could just be an acknowledgement. I don't think it's as bitter as Garrett Cole's was. I, like when it comes to Garrett Cole, that one was bitter. <laughs> that one was, he was not wearing the Astros cap. He was, he was done. Like he was unhappy that he didn't pitch like Rodon pitched. He had a chance to extend the season. He wasn't able to see it through. And a lot of other people, could, it wasn't just him, but just he wasn't able to do what he wanted. A lot of players weren't able to do what they wanted. So I, I don't see the same bitterness, but I am guessing that he is thinking he's going to be on a different team next year. Yeah. And Carlos Rodon, it's going to be one of the first players that we have our review episode for because we don't know what the future holds for Carlos Serdan. Uh, after the World Series, there's going to be a five-day period for the qualifying offers between the teams and the players that are eligible for a qualifying offer. Carlos Serdan is one of those players eligible for a qualifying offer. Thanks to MLBTradeRumors.com, they're reporting that the qualifying offer is going to be $18.4 million dollars for the 2022 season. So if the White Sox do make that 
uh, qualifying offer to Carlos Erdan, and he accepts. Uh, that's good for $18.4 million in 2022. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if Carlos Rodon declines the qualifying offer, we're going to have to wait to see what the new CBA says as far as team compensation. If yeah, Rodon, what that actually means. Yeah, if, if Rodon signs elsewhere. And uh, that's where I want to end as far as this episode here, looking to the future. The future is murky for everyone in baseball. If you are not a fan of the Boston Red Sox or the Houston Astros, or I haven't checked what the score was between the Milwaukee Brewers and the Atlanta Braves, did the Brewers win game four? Last I checked, the Brewers were winning. Maybe someone in the YouTube comments can chime in. Our podcast listeners who are listening to this, they're tied at four. Uh, so we'll technically at this moment say the Milwaukee Brewers, the Atlanta Braves, the Los Angeles Dodgers, and the San Francisco Giants. You can still be hopeful because your team is still in the race. For everybody else that's out of the race now, uh, and the White Sox are one of those teams, I don't know what the future holds or the near future because the CBA expires on December 1st. Mm-hmm. And if there is no new CBA to ratify before December 1st, Major League Baseball is going to enter a lockout. And when they enter a lockout, all activity stops until there is a new collective bargain agreement between the league and the Players Association. There's no trades. There's no signings. We are stuck uh, until a new CBA is done. And we have been talking about this for more than a calendar year. We know that this moment is going to be I don't even want to say a heated debate. These two sides haven't agreed on much at all. And this has been simmering for a while between the Players Association and the league. The league continues to sign these mega TV contracts, but the players get a very small slice of the TV money. They want more of that. The league is making a lot of money off of gambling. The Players Association makes $0 off the gambling revenues. They want a piece of the pie for that. The league wants to expand postseason. Players Association wants to redo as far as team control on players. These aren't small things that the Players Association and the league have to agree upon. These are big items. And there's also the whole rules changes and universal DH and possible expansion to 32 teams. It's very hard for me to, even if the league, if the season was even done now, Jim, I would Mm -hmm. be skeptical that a new CBA would be ready for December 1st. There is so much to iron out. I cannot imagine that when the season does end, which it could end on November 3rd, that both sides could have a new CBA ready to go within 28 days. I don't think that's feasible. So Mm -hmm. I do think that the league is going to enter a lockout, which means the White Sox are stuck. At least Rick Hahn is stuck. He can't make any moves or do anything until the lockout is done. And when the lockout is done, who knows? We, We may have an adjustment to the 2022 schedule. So that's why it's very difficult for me right now when people are asking questions, what what about this pending free agent? Or, mm-hmm. you know, what about Marcus Simeon? Or, guys, I don't even know if we're going to have the winter meetings where a lot of this activity happens. 
So there's so much uncertainty heading to this offseason. It adds the sting of the White Sox season ending where it does because we as baseball fans are going to be sitting on our hands for most of December, if not most of January, and playing this game again like we did in 2020. When is the season starting? And not knowing exactly for sure. And that's kind of a bummer. And it really complicates matters when you're trying to look into the crystal ball for 2022, Jim. Yeah, I have questions about like the off-season plan project. Do I do it just pretending or just assuming the rules will be the same because we just want to talk about things versus try to project like what arbitration is going to look like, uh, you know, what's who's reaching free agency when that sort of thing. Um, that's a case where like, I'd welcome some input. I'll probably do like a post about it on socks machine. Just to say, how do you want to do this? Cause uh, on one hand, you know, it is it probably makes sense to wait on the other hand. It's just, that could be a lot of nothing. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you know, then that's just a lot of good discussion we lose out on just because I, you know, I enjoy the conversations about just how players fit. I think, you know, that, that might be the way I approach it is less about getting the money right, getting the exact payroll and salaries and you know, arbitration projections, right? More about just getting like, especially just given the season the White Sox are coming off of, like, how do you make this roster fit? Like, how do you, yeah. you know, what players does this need? How would you address it? And then when it comes to, after December, like just, okay, now we'll figure out like whether, you know, how many of these are feasible and, you know, who's going to be making what, uh, that sort of thing. That might be the the way I'm leaning now, but it's, it's going to be uh, weird. And it's not necessarily like, I know a lot of people will panic, uh, if the, uh, if the players, you know, don't agree. And cause usually the players labor, they get castigated as like the ones who aren't cooperating because they get millions to play a game. But it's just, when it comes to labor relations, like every, Every once in a while, it's probably healthy to have a stoppage just in terms of you know, restoring balance and exercising power because that's the only way that the sports unions can really achieve anything is by stopping the product. Um, and, and you see it in, in the other sports like hockey and football and basketball, like they've all had work stoppages more recently because uh, that's just, you know, it's what it takes sometimes to, uh, you know, wrestle terms in your favor. So, I'm prepared for one because, you know, it has been like a few uh, CBAs in a row where the uh, the player uh, rights have been eroded a little bit. And there probably needs to be some kind of correction to restore some fairness, given all the how many revenue streams have changed. But, uh, you know, a lot of people are saying, like, what's the rotation like for next year? Who's going to do what? Like, I'm going to need a lot of content ideas to cover December and January and such if, uh, you know, all activity has stopped. So don't start stealing my post ideas and wanting instant answers. It's going to take a while. And there are some ideas I'm going to be holding on to preciously in the event that the news dries up by, like, December 10th and I have nothing to do. So bear with me here. Yeah. Yeah, I, <laughs> you know, I will. Um, yeah, I know that's that's even more. That might be more depressing than how the White Sox lost the ALDS, but that's the near future right now for Major League Baseball, and the postseason is a great distraction from it. Um, but when we get into the World Series, this is going to heat up because again, uh, five days after the World Series ends, teams are going to make their qualifying offers we may get first indication of how the players uh, association is united as a union. Mm-hmm. If the players just universally decline the qualifying offer, 
Like that could be a possibility that no player accepts mm -hmm. it. And this goes back to Carlos Rodon. If the White Sox make a qualifying offer to Carlos Rodon and Rodon declines it, okay, well, the assumption is, is that if Rodon signs X type of contract, the White Sox will get a second round pick in the 2022 Major League Baseball draft. But that was under the rules of the current CBA that expires on December 1st. Mm -hmm. And when it expires, what does that new compensation look like? Are they going to make adjustments to it? We don't know. So unfortunately, everyone is held hostage until this CBA matter gets resolved. And that's the big hurdle right now for everyone that covers this sport is what's going to happen after the World Series into December 1st as far as activity. And mm -hmm. we're going to have to wait and see. And that sucks because after this season is done and people have really good ideas on how they want to improve the Chicago White Sox, I'm sure Rick Hahn has ideas on how he wants to improve the team and improve their chances of winning in 2022 to repeat as American League Central champions because the White Sox in their franchise history have never won back-to-back -back division titles in 120 plus years of existence. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's like the new goal, win the division, get back in the postseason, and be a stronger team to win the American League pennant or have better luck going into next postseason. But we can't have those conversations until we have a better understanding of what the new CBA is going to be. Because folks, I can guarantee you, the rules are going to be different. The rules are definitely going to be different in 2022 teams are going to be operating in a different model and we're not going to know exactly for sure on how everyone can operate until a new cba is ratified i'm just hoping there's no salary cap because i hate the word cap hit or the phrase i should say like i have no understanding how it works in other sports i have no desire to learn how it works uh so if baseball gets one that's just like no I, that's those are terrible words cap hit like so yeah yeah yeah, we shall see. We shall see. But that's where we're going to end for this episode of Sox Machine Live. I do want to say thank you to everyone for the kind words that have thanked us for our coverage of the 2021 season. We love doing this. And the amount of support that we have gotten from visitors to SoxMachine.com and new subscribers to the Sox Machine podcast and, you know, the continuing support of our growth in Patreon with the number of Patreon supporters supporting us in 2021. We love you guys and we love doing this and we will be covering the team all off season and we'll be covering the news as far as that CBA and try to continue the conversation the best way that we can regarding the, Ch the Chicago White Sox until spring training starts, whenever that is. And opening day is still scheduled to be March 31st at home in 2022 against the Minnesota Twins. So stick with us. Our next Sox Machine podcast is going to be on Monday, October 18th. I will be going to New Orleans for a wedding this weekend, which will be fun. Yeah, you don't um, but, have to worry about it. So you're yeah, free. I don't have to worry about it. Uh, but on Sunday, what I like to do is to do an all P.O. Sox mailbag question. So if okay. you guys are Patreon supporters, and you have questions or topics that you've been thinking about and you want us to answer, we're going to do an all-mailbag episode uh, this upcoming Monday for the Sox Machine podcast. So think about the questions you want to ask or any topics that you want us to tackle, 
and send them our way. So again, for our Patreon supporters um, at patreon.com slash socks machine, which is where you can sign up, uh, start thinking about those questions that you want Jim and I to answer, and we will answer them in an all mailbag episode of the Socks Machine podcast. If you are not a Patreon supporter, you can do so at patreon.com slash socks machine, where we have several different tiers of support at $2, $3, $5, and $10 a month, where you get exclusive content, ad-free versions of both the podcast and website, and you get the first opportunity for our new Socks Machine swag, like our Socks Machine ball caps and Socks Machine pint glasses. We also have annual plans as well that save you 9% from the monthly plans. So if you enjoy our work and you want more and you'd like to support us, go to patreon.com slash Socks Machine to sign up. You can also follow Socks Machine on Twitter. We are at Socks Machine. You can follow me on Twitter at Socks Machine underscore Josh. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Socks Machine. We'll use Socks Machine Live for any breaking news regarding the Chicago White Sox as that's a pretty effective tool for us to get the word out there and have instant analysis. So definitely subscribe to our YouTube page for our new videos. And for those that don't get an opportunity to watch the live stream of Socks Machine Live, don't worry, we always take the audio recording of Socks Machine Live and upload it into our podcast feed, which you can listen to the Socks Machine podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Socks Machine Live is a production of SocksMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I am Josh Nelson. Thanks for watching and listening.